today I want to take, I only got 30 minutes to do like a 45 minute lesson. So we'll see. I want to talk about the psychology of faithfulness and why the psychology of faithfulness. Because if our goal is to be invested in the Torah, is to be led by the Spirit, is to grow into image bearers. See, I see my life and I see all of our lives as a big circle. If you started here, and many of you are, let's say here, halfway through this journey of life. Some of you are a little less, some of you are a little more. Huh. Immature, more mature. We started out here. And here is what, who God created in your mother's womb. Before he formed you, he knew you. And what God created there was an unblemished, perfect soul that is created in his image. Before you got your hands on your life and messed it up. Before life got a hold of you and started kicking you in the tail. Before people put their impressions on you and, and warped you and molded you in all kind of different ways, there is a starting point. And God says it is very good because it is his image. And then you're born into this world and you begin this cycle where, again, you mess your life up. People mess you up. Life messes you up. This, this life is like a minefield. And there are a lot of opportunities to be warped and bent and twisted. There are a lot of opportunities to have shame and guilt and be identified by those things. But at some point along your circle, you get introduced to a man named Yeshua. And he begins, he redeems you and begins to regenerate and restore and sanctify your life. And from that point on, that new birth, what I see in my mind is that path should be leading you back to where you began. The end of your life should be as close to God's forming you in the womb as you can possibly get. That is the purpose, after all, for Yeshua's coming anyway, is to restore, to deliver, to sanctify, to redeem, right? So my question is always, in, my, in the journey of my, in my circle, how close, am, every day, am I getting closer, am I regressing, or am I getting closer? Well, I'm not regressing, time marches on. So I'm always getting closer to, to one day meeting, to returning to where I came from. When I get there, every day am I getting closer to who that's supposed to be or further from it? You understand? And for so long, and this might be my baggage, if it is, forgive me. If it's some of yours, you're welcome. If it's not, log off, say Shabbat Shalom, go to sleep, whatever. We'll have lunch in a, in a minute. My faith journey, my spiritual growth has been very out of my control for most of my life. What do I mean by that? Well, it's all about being led by the Spirit, right? And who says what I'm 
where I'm supposed to be or what I'm supposed to do. It's all in an effort to find God's will always, always searching to find God's will, never knowing if I'm really found it or if it's a, if it is it the devil or is it me or is it God or what? And, and asking thousands of questions and never, ever finding a destination, always on a journey, never finding a destination. Now, in business, in your work, in our jobs, in skill sets, we have a destination. In order to, to maintain my, my position at work and maintain getting paid as an employee, I have to learn this set of skills. And by this point in time, I have to be fluent and, and be able to do these things because my boss requires it. In athletics, you better train to where you can hit this skill set at this time or else you're, you're not going to be on the team anymore, right? In every other area of life, we have goals, we have plans, we have things. But in our spiritual development, it doesn't seem to be that way for most people. It seems to be that I'm saved and I'm good. I don't have to worry about it anymore. That's one, that's one attitude. Another attitude is, well, I just have to be led by the Spirit. and not, I'm not doing anything until God says and confirms in the mouth of two or three witnesses and breaks open the heavens and sends a butterfly or wh whatever the, the things are. And, and, and I'm at a point in my life, and, and, and maybe some of you have already been here. Maybe you're not, you don't even care. You're like, what is he talking about? Where, where I'm, I finally want to take control of my own spiritual destiny. And people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean take control from God? Listen, that's an idiotic question. Because the, the, we, talk about, we talk about motivation and we talk about, you know, people say, well, I'm not motivated to study like you do or like Kyle does or like, I, I just, I don't know how, I, don't, I'm not, I can't. I can't do these things. I can't, you know, whatever. And the truth of the matter is that when it comes down to our spiritual growth and our effectiveness in the kingdom for God, faithfulness, faithfulness, and because I don't like using some of these catch words, these buzzwords that we always use, I'm going to use the word also adherence. Adherence. Because faithfulness is kind of, puffy and like, well, faith, what is faithfulness? Adherence, though, is like, oh, I kind of know what that is. Adherence is sticking to a plan, regardless. Adherence or faith, faithfulness is almost everything to our effectiveness in the kingdom, to our impact in the kingdom. Adherence or faithfulness is almost everything. Now, I'm going to talk about almost in a second. But I just want to read a few verses with you. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Because of the mercies of Adonai, we will not be consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. We can take God's faithfulness for granted. He'll always be there. No big deal. I don't ever have to worry about God not being there. If it's so important that God is faithful, shouldn't it be as important that we in return are faithful? 
Should his faithfulness lull us into a sense of, I don't have to care because God is going to be there? Or should his faithful, his extreme faithfulness in our lives, you know the faithfulness that when you turned away, he was still there. When you cursed his name, you were still there. When he delivered you from something for the umpteenth time and you went back and did it like a dog to its vomit, he was still there. I'm talking about God's radical faithfulness. Does it lull us into a sense of, well, he's there, I can, just, I can just relax and do whatever I want and sit on my spiritual haunches? Or does it challenge you to be more faithful in your own life? 1 Samuel 26, 23, Adonai will repay everyone for his righteousness and his faithfulness. Listen to that verse. Now, it's pulled out of its context, granted. Go read the context, that's fine. Adonai will repay everyone for his righteousness and faithfulness, which is not only negative, it is. In other words, if you're not righteous and not faithful, you're going to be repaid for that. But on the flip side, if you are righteous and you are faithful, you get repaid for that. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, Torah scholars and Pharisees, Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you have neglected the weightier matters of the Torah, justice and mercy and faithfulness. How you keep Shabbat, I don't care. Do you keep Shabbat in some sense? Are you pursuing that? Do you eat biblically according to the way God? Do you put stuff in your body that God says not to? How you do that is not as much of a big deal as are you pursuing some sort of adherence? Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Ruach is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. The very manifestation of God's presence in our life is faithfulness. Faithfulness or adherence is almost everything. Why do I say almost? I say almost because we're not perfect. Baruch Hashem, that we can do all the work, we can put in all the effort to be as faithful and as adherent to God's call and God's plan as we want to, and yet we're never going to match up. We're never going to be perfect. And so while faithfulness is almost everything, there is still mercy. Thank God for his mercy. We use the term motivation sometime, and we go like, well, I'm not motivated to study. I'm not motivated. I just don't feel motivated to pray. I don't feel motivated to, you know, to, to keep the commandments as much as I used to, and and we use motivation. You remember when you first were, were, were uh, when the Torah was first given to you? You remember how motivated you were to study? We, we go into what I call sponge mode, right? Many of you went into sponge mode. It was like every YouTube video, every article, every website, every, it didn't matter if it was shady or not, or looked like it was, you know, some guy in his basement, you know, whatever, it just, just, just take in all the, 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 anything that looked Hebraic in any way, shape or form, just, just sponging everything. It was motivation. You were motivated. And many times we go, well, like, I'm not motivated like I used to be to pursue God. And it can be in the area of study, it can be in prayer, it can be in worship, whatever. Motivation, though, actually is not the problem. So in this lesson, I want to try to correct some terms and hopefully help us to identify a process by which we can systematize our growth spiritually. I'll get to that in a second. 
Motivation actually means something more specific. When most people say motivation, what they actually mean is adherence or faithfulness. It's not that you're not motivated to study. It's not that you're not motivated to seek God. It's not that you're not motivated to pray. It's not that you're not motivated to, to keep the commandments. Is that you lack adherence. You lack faithfulness. You want to be faithful. I believe everybody in this room and everybody watching live stream, you want to be more faithful than you are right now. And why does this message come at this time? Why am I doing this today? Because God spoke and said, no, because we've just left Shavuot with the things we've talked about. Where are we going? We're going to Rosh Hashanah, which is the beginning of judgment. And if you remember last Rosh Hashanah, last Yom Kippur, I challenged you. I know you all remember. Wait, I agonize over every time I speak. You guys don't agonize over every time I speak and like you don't live it and remember it for years on end? What are you talking about? Do you even listen to what I'm saying? No. Last year during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I challenged you and told you that this year you didn't have to repent from all the sins that you did last year. You shouldn't have to. You shouldn't have to be in the same place that you were last year. You should have less of a list to repent for this year. You should be better in your character, better in your, in your discipline, better in your willpower, better in who you are. You should have less and less every Yom Kippur. That's the way that the festivals are trying to work. They're trying to refine us and make us in the image of Messiah. I didn't do this this year. I threatened you, but I didn't. During the counter of the, counting of the Omer, I told you I was going to ask some people to testify about what they were where we're doing. I didn't this year, but don't let it lull you into sleep. Just when you think, oh, he says it, but he's not going to do it. I'm going to call somebody out live on Shabbat and go, why don't you come up and tell us? And then you'll be in the awkward position to say no in front of everybody. It's the power of the MC, right? Um, but we are leaving Shavuot and we're heading to judgment. You've been given the Torah and you've got basically three months in between Shavuot and Rosh Hashanah, you've got three months for God to say, I gave you this, now let's see what you've done with it. That's where we're heading. Reminiscent of something in the Gospels? That's the time we're in right now. This message comes right now because I want you to be able to stand before God and say, this is what I did with what you gave me this year. That's what Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are supposed to be. Not, oh, forgive me for being a wretch. It should be, this is what I did with what you gave me last year. And you know what? A lot of that is not, quote unquote, the Spirit's business. A lot of what we do with God, what God calls us to, has nothing to do with being led or not led by the Spirit, being empowered or not empowered by the Spirit, being, being convicted or compassionate or moved or what all the things that, that we say, the junk that we say in order to remain spiritually lazy. It has nothing to do with any of that. It, what it has to do is taking control over your spiritual growth like it would be on a job and you are responsible to learn a set of skills or else you're going to get fired. That's what we're talking about. Because judgment day is coming. I don't talk about I don't talk a lot about like this, but this is how I think about my life. So when most people say motivation, they actually mean adherence. So adherence 
very simply, is the ability to stick to a course of action. And I'm going to say adherence or faithfulness. Faithfulness is the ability to stick to a course of action. That's what we're talking about. Any biblical topic, you want to research something, you want to study something, um, a biblical mandate or commandment or mitzvah, um, a, a practice, a scriptural passage, a history, geography, culture, um, any, any of those things that you choose to, to invest in will be profitable to your spiritual journey. We're like, well, what are you studying? Oh, I'm just waiting to be led. No! Stop! Stop waiting to be led and invest in something. Pick something. Anything you decide to study scripturally will be profitable to your spiritual journey. Why? Because everything we study scripturally, according to, in, in, in kingdom stuff, is all creating that world that we can walk around in. Right? And here's a radical statement. The details don't matter as much as you think they do. The de- well, I want to get it right. Let me just let you in on a little, hopefully this will help to... There is no such thing as right. That'll be clipped and posted somewhere. This preacher said there's no such thing as right and wrong. Whatever. What do you mean by right? Right according to whom? Well, according to the Bible. According to whose reading of the Bible? Right according to which denomination? Which sect of Judaism? Which, which group of scholarship? Because they don't all agree. Nobody agrees on everything. The details don't matter as much as you think. When we're talking about study in particular, what's important is to learn how to study. Not necessarily what to study. Well, are you saying we can go study the occult and that'll be profitable? I think anybody that makes that assumption, their heart's not right and they're trying to be facetious. No, no. Biblical things, again, customs, traditions, geography, culture, you know, commandments, statutes, scripture, all those things, theology, all that kind of stuff. The details don't matter as much as we think they do. Because what happens is along the process of spiritual growth, whether that's in whatever area that is, you learn how to navigate and discern what is good and what is bad. I hear people, sometimes maybe you hear this. I hear people all the time talk about, well, like, well, that's bad scholarship. How the heck do you know? Well, that's, you know, this, this, this rabbi, that's not, you know, he's not really that, you know, he's not kosher. Well, how do you know? When you don't know anything about a topic, how do you know what's good information or bad information? And that's where a lot of people, I know a lot of you guys have frustration. It's like, well, I'd love to study this, but how do you even know where to start? What I'm telling you is that you start. And once you start, you start to build a world you can walk around in. And then you start to go, well, like, oh, wait a second. That's not good. Oh, this guy's got to. You start to build that world. The details don't matter as much as you think. Success is generally determined by your ability to adhere or stay faithful to a course of action and let wisdom develop. Because that's what happens. When you start to study a topic or you start to embark on a a part of your spiritual journey that is new to you, it seems impossible. But if you have some stick to and you can stick to it, I was going to get it out eventually, and you can stick to it, 
you become more and more comfortable as you walk it out. And wisdom begins to develop. Remember we talked about the Dunning-Kruger curve a few months ago? I know, of course, everybody, yeah, of course. I think about it every day. Um, it was an amazing teaching. It was brilliant. Um, <laughs> thank you. Uh, I'll compliment myself. I don't have a problem with that. Um, but the, the idea of the Dunning-Kruger you know, effect is that once you get through the valley of despair and you come up to the, like, the plateau of, you know, like, okay, what is that? It kicks in as it's wisdom. You don't just know facts, but you've lived with the facts. You've realized which facts you can live and which ones you can't. You've realized which facts work and which ones don't. You've realized there's wisdom that sets in. Knowledge is facts. It's truth. It's information. It's good. But wisdom is lived knowledge, where knowledge is tested and tempered by time and experience, right? And that happens in the learning process. So just imagine this. Instead of everybody sitting on their spiritual haunches, making lazy, lame excuses for not growing spiritually, instead of that being the norm in in Christendom, in the kingdom, what if there was a systematic way that we could grow our level of adherence or faithfulness to God and actually have a goal of who I want to become and actually become that person? What if there was such a thing that exists? Well, there is. And let me just say, if this feels too systematic or scientific and not spirit-led enough, just ask yourself, because I've had this issue before, so I can hear some people saying it. Well, I don't want to get ahead of God. Have you ever said that to yourself, or is that just me? I don't want to get ahead of God. Like, that's really toxic, right? Ask yourself this question. In your spiritual growth, who's capping your potential? God? Is God going like, well, I don't want you to grow that much. No. God over in his word goes like, be like me. I'm holy. We're the ones that are capping our spiritual growth. There is no cap. There is no getting ahead of God. My, our friend Jeff Morton, who I know was watching earlier, might still be on. Jeff, he, he wrecked my brain. Jeff said, like, I believe that, if, if, I believe that God is waiting for us to go, you know what, God? I want to do X, Y, Z. And God going, cool, let's do it together. God, I want to learn how to do whatever. Cool, let me, let me do it with you. Instead of, God, what do you want me to do? I'm not going to move until you say. If this feels like this might lack, again, being the spirit, sometimes when we say spirit-led, we mean like passion and spontaneity, if you're, like, if you're a creative person like that. And you think like, well, yeah, but if this is systematic, then it's kind of staunch and cold, and it's not going to give me any room for spontaneity and creativity and being, quote-unquote, spirit-led. Sometimes I think when we talk about being spirit-led, we think, like, I'm doing my thing, I'm walking, I'm, I'm doing, my, I'm being faithful to God, I got my stuff, and then the Spirit speaks, and all of a sudden, oh, I got to run over here. Hey, you missed me. And I'm walking, and I'm doing good and everything, I've been obedient to God, and all of a sudden the Spirit speaks, oh, I'm going to run over here. That means being spirit-led? What, like, that, that seems like a, um, uh, what's, the, what's the, a seizure. It's like a spiritual seizure is what we're really expecting spirit-led to be. No. If you think what I'm about to talk to you about lacks spontaneity and creativity and all that, just wait till the end, okay? We may go a little bit long today. If you get famished, you start getting lightheaded, go get some food, come back, sit down, okay? So, huh? Yeah, get some other candy right there. Yeah, whatever. Get some coffee, you'll be all right. So there are six 
constructs, what we're going to call constructs of adherence or faithfulness. Six constructs of adherence or faithfulness. This is, this is psychology. This is science. Like, th- this is tested and tried and documented and researched, right? It's, it's a system that we're given because science is of God. Did you know that? Like, I know a lot of, and maybe in some other past, in previous lives that you've been in, science and God always conflict. I know, like, man, growing up, our church, little small Southern Baptist church, churches we were in, was scared to death. Like, if you were a church member and you had a problem and you even, in, well, no, you didn't. You didn't want to be cast out of the community. You didn't even ent- entertain going to a therapist because that was like witchcraft or something. Or we're like, well, like, I'm here every Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Sunday night, and I'm not getting any better. So I got to do something. Oh, but that's like witchcraft. Like, I mean, the sciences were, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're demonic. What is science? Science is man's curiosity about the world that God created. Science is human beings exploring in curiosity, which God gave us, BT dubs, and our exploration of the world around us and coming up with ideas about how this stuff works. Instead of just saying, well, it's all God, praise God, bless God. That's not an answer. Well, God did it, amen. So, how? That's a God-given curiosity. So the idea that godly things and scientific things should be against, no. They should be one and the same. Now, are there some scientists that have some wacky ideas? 100%. Are there some quote-unquote believers that have wacky ideas? 100%. Okay. So these constructs, they occur in phases. Sometimes, Sometimes they have a beginning and an end. Sometimes they last throughout the process. Sometimes they only come in at the end, whatever. They're different things. But these are the building blocks that make up a faithful life. These are the building blocks that, that create faithfulness. And so we can literally break our growth up into these phases and these things to better understand where we're doing really good in faithfulness and adherence to, to Hashem and where we're lacking and we need to do a little bit better. Imagine taking control of your spiritual growth and your faith mission, whatever your assignment is, by understanding each one of these things and doing the right thing at the right time. You can hack your spiritual growth. And I know this might sound like, man, you should be like on TBN or whatever, but this is a message for two. I'm, this, is, this, is, this is truth. This is God's truth revealed through the science of psychology. And I think it's pretty stinking cool. The, the biggest key to our spiritual growth Again, I'm going to hammer this, not because I don't believe in the leading of the Spirit, guys. You understand that. It's not that I don't believe in the leading of the Spirit. However, the leading of the Spirit and what we think that is has been so twisted and warped that we don't even know what it actually is. And therefore, the the Spirit leading us is not beneficial to us anyway. Because our understanding of it is warped. What's the key to all of this? Is It's not how sensitive you are to the Spirit. The key to this is your mindset. Your mindset. I know it's real new agey, right? It's real Joel Osteen-y. Your mindset. If this is a Joel Osteen type of message, send me the offerings that he would get. And um, okay. So here are here are the six here are the six uh, constructs of adherence or faithfulness. Number one, inspiration. Number two, motivation. 
Number three, intention. Number four, discipline, which is probably my favorite one. It's not at all what you think. Number six, habit. Number, I'm sorry, number five, habit. Number six, passion. Okay? So we're going to go through these one at a time. Uh, can I do it in eight minutes? Probably not, but we'll try. And by the way, I'll post these notes to the teaching later on so you guys can have them. Um, so let's talk about inspiration. We're going to talk about these in, in, in four different ways. Each construct, we're going to ask, what is it? What is it good for? What is it not good for? And then how can we enhance it or boost it? Okay, that's going to be the way we deal with these four, or these, uh, these four ways we're going to deal with these six constructs. Okay, inspiration, what is it? Inspiration is the spark that gets you to want to move closer to God, to seriously pursue your calling, to study a topic, enhance your observance, etc. Whatever it is you want to do, it's the spark. It's the, I think I can do this. I want to do this. It's the goosebumps, right? It's the, the excitement in your, in, your, in your stomach. What is it good for? What is inspiration good for? It's good for getting you to start. That's it. It's good for getting you up off your haunches and moving in a direction. The, the, an, an, an object at motion tends to stay in motion. An object at rest wants to stay at rest. We're all sciencey this morning. What kind of cult is this? An object at rest wants to stay at rest. The, the, one of the hardest parts for some people is inspiration. I just don't feel like it. I don't have any passion. And see, sometimes we mistake passion for inspiration. We're not lacking passion. Sometimes you're lacking inspiration. It's to get you to start. Number two, what is it not good for? Inspiration is not good for sustaining you longer than a day, maybe. <laughs> inspiration is not a long burn concept. Inspiration may happen in 30 seconds and then be gone, right? How many of you gone to a movie? Like, uh, the, the one that sticks out, I know this is dated. I just can't, I don't have a more recent um, example. Um, how many of you remember seeing Rocky for the first time? And he's running up the steps in his, in his you know, sweatsuit, and he's, you know, he's doing these drinking eggs and whatever. How many of you guys, and maybe ladies, I mean, I don't want to be, you know, you walked out of the theater and you were, I'm going to get in shape, man, freaking Rocky. Ugh. Maybe it wasn't Rocky. Maybe it was another movie. How long does that last? Do you go home and start drinking eggs? Are you running around town in the heat of summer in a gray sweatsuit? No. It probably lasts till you get to the car and you're like, nah. Let's go have pizza buffet or something like Right? Because, yeah, I'll start tomorrow. Because that's what inspiration is. Inspiration is, is that like, yeah, let's do it. Nah. Nah, really, really, really like chocolate cake. Right? That's what that inspiration is. And here's, he, you have, some of you have been a part of churches. All Sunday morning is, is a big hype session. And what happens is people get all, all in their feels for an hour or whatever. And they're going to live for God and they fall down on the altar and the floor and they cry and they wail and all this stuff. And by the time they get to the car, they're no more want to be closer to God. By the time they take their afternoon nap and wake up and be like, yeah, that's going to be too much work. Inspiration is 
not supposed to sustain you. It's only supposed to get you going. How do we enhance it? In a positive sense, be around inspirational people. Be around people that are doing something, right? That are, that are moving and shaking and causing things to happen. In a negative sense, sometimes we can be inspired by just seeing how bad we're doing faithfully in our, in our faith, right? So you go like, I really stink at X, Y, Z. And that maybe can cause some inspiration to do better, right? Another way we enhance it is by seeing other people overcome adversity and grow in faithfulness. That's inspirational, right? That's inspiring to see other people overcome adversity. You go like, if they can do it, I can do it, right? But what we can't do is we can't allow, we can't think and expect inspiration to carry us through to the goal. It's not designed that way. So if you go like, I'm just not inspired. Well, then find something to get inspired, but then understand that it's going to take more than just inspiration to get you to where you want to go, right? All right, so the question is, what inspires you? Again, oh, I feel like Joel Osteen. What inspires you? <laughs> I just don't have the big horse grill. Uh, sorry, that was a sh- personal shot. I'm sorry. I got the big belly. belly. Um, it's that. What inspires you? What inspires you? Can you think, could you write down three things that inspire you? Could you write down two people that inspire you? Could you, what inspires you to chase after the thing that God you know, a part of the kingdom, a part of, you know, study, theology, prayer, worship, whatever it is. What inspires you? Find those things and know what they are. As a graphical representation, you're welcome. This is what inspiration looks like. This is what inspiration looks like. I used to get so, you know, I loved for years and years and years, for like 15 years of my ministry, I did summer camps with teenagers. Led worship, taught, ran camps, produced camps, did all the things for camps, whatever. They were so much fun. I loved doing summer camps. The only negative part about summer camp, besides people playing pranks and all that and waking up in the middle of the night, is that you have this humongous high at super camp. And then the kids back get back home and in two, and not even two weeks. Sometimes on the bus ride home from the retreat to home, you, you've done this thing. Where everybody's like, yeah, and then we're like, Oh, it's Derrida City Limits. Nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. On second thought. That's what inspiration looks like. All right, second is motivation. Everybody good? Motivation, what is it? Motivation is a goal. It's a goal. It's the inner desire to want to become and grow more faithful or more adherent. That's motive. I'm motivated to do this thing. Inspiration got me going. Now I'm moving. Motivation is good for fueling your adherence day by day when inspiration has waned. Isn't that cool? Motivation is for fueling your faithfulness day by day when you're not inspired anymore. When inspiration has gone, (whistles) then what do you do? Most of us just give up and just go like, oh, that must have been a passing thing. That must have not been God. That must have been me I was listening to. Maybe that was the enemy that I was listening to, and that's why I don't feel it anymore. Right? Do you play your, those games with yourself, or am I the only toxic one here? Maybe it, maybe, it's, maybe it wasn't the Spirit leading me because I don't feel it anymore. I don't feel inspired anymore. No, that's not what happened at all. 
just like I talked several months ago, again, another message you should all remember, um, <laughs> about nobody ever told me that after a spiritual high, I would be super depressed. Nobody ever told me that. No, it was the enemy that was attacking me. No, it's not. It's psychology. That after you have a, an endorphin rush, they don't just go back to normal, they crater before they come back up to normal. How much pain and anguish would that have saved me in my spiritual life knowing like this is going to happen it's natural expect it in the same way inspiration the thing that gets you excited is not going to last we need motivation to pull us through those times where our inspiration wanes what is it not good for it's not good for your support every day because just like inspiration big jump motivation waxes and wanes as well right sometimes you're motivated sometimes you're not how do we enhance motivation have a clear end goal this is so important where is the spirit leading you well i don't know how am i supposed to know only the spirit knows where he's leading me okay then let's change the question stop asking yourself god what is your will stop asking that question Stop asking God what you should do, what he wants you to do, where you should be, who you should be with, what you should be doing. Stop asking those questions. Stop. Because here's also what the Bible tells us. As much as we should be following God's will and led by his spirit, the Bible also tells us that God has given us the desires of our heart. Now, with that, that does not mean that we desire something and God gave it to us. It means that if we desire something, God gave that desire to us. Do you see the difference in that scripture? God gives you the desires of your heart. Well, I, des I desire a Lamborghini. Yeah. I desire to be about 160 pounds of shredded manliness. My wife even desires that. Double portion desire should mean that God gives us what we want, right? Look. <laughs> all right i'm embarrassing myself to make a point we have read those scriptures before and go but god i really desire it why doesn't it happen because that's not the way to read that verse the way to read that verse is that if you desire something godly god gave you that desire stop waiting on him to give you another one and go pursue the one he gave you like Jeff says, dream to do something. Dream to do something. And then let God come along for the ride. Well, that makes God your co-pilot, not your pilot. No, we got to get out of this thinking. God is not limiting our growth. God is not limiting our effectiveness. God is not capping us in any way or capacity. We do that because we're afraid. We're afraid to dream. We're afraid to get out there. So have a clear end goal. Do you want to learn Hebrew? Great. Say, in three months, I'm going to have the alphabet and the vowels memorized. Have a goal. You want to increase your prayer life? Good. I'm going to pray Shakarit prayer service every day for the next three weeks. Have a goal. I want to be able to do X, Y, and Z by this time. By Rosh Hashanah, I'm going to ask everybody, like I did with the Omer, by Rosh Hashanah, 
have some goals. I want to be better in this area. I want to be more faithful in this area. I want to be more knowledgeable in this area. I want to be more consistent, more adherent, more faithful in this area. Have some goals. Let the festivals that Hashem gave us be those times where you set a goal by each one of those festivals. Number two, again, being around positive people that are motivated. Number three, seeing positive results from others and yourself, I'll add, and letting that sink in. Seeing other people, I'm inspired by you guys all the time. Every Wednesday night we sit down, six months ago, we started learning Hebrew. About six months ago, eight months ago, whatever it was. We went through a few weeks, a couple months of learning Hebrew. Now we are learning a foreign, ancient language. We miss how incredible that is, right? And you guys on Wednesday night, you learned how to read or you're learning how to read a foreign, ancient language. And, we, and you get frustrated with yourselves because like, well, I can't follow it. It's a foreign, ancient language. And yet, Kyle was the only one really that could lead us in the Shema and Vihafta. Now, Nikki's reading it every single week. She leads us in the Shema and Vihafta. In six months, you learn how to read a foreign, ancient language. What? Like, it gives me goosebumps. That's inspiring. When somebody comes up and goes, I was reading this, I found this, it's inspiring. We need to be around people. Like, we need each other for that. And lastly, overcome temptations and be proud of that. Motivation is enhanced by overcoming those little temptations and being proud of those things. It's okay to be proud of yourself when you're growing towards God. You should be able to look in the mirror and go, you're doing a great job. God is proud of you. Keep going. All right, this is what motivation looks like for those of you visual people. It waxes and wanes, motivation, right? Some days I'm more motivated. And when my motivation is high, my adherence is high, right? When you're motivated, it's easy to be faithful. When you're not motivated, your adherence goes down as time goes along, right? All right, number three, we're halfway there. I'm sorry. I hope you all are enjoying this. Intention. What is intention? Intention is a commitment to a plan, which means you have to have a plan. We have a goal. Now, what is going to be your plan? That's your intention. Intention is good for setting up clear what to do and what not to do instructions. Here's the big intentional phase in the Bible. You ready? God tells Israel, be holy as I am holy. That's the what? Goal. That's the motivation. To be holy. What's the intention? The Torah. It's what to do and what not to do instructions. See? That's intention. This is baked into how God deals with us. Intention is good for what to do and what not to do. It's not good is it doesn't enforce itself. You still have to do the work. You have to, it's not a self-perpetuating thing. You have to do the work and work the plan. We enhance it by, number one, having a clear plan to follow. You want to you wanna get better at Hebrew? Do you have books? Do you have some audio stuff to listen to? Having the tools and the plan that you need to follow. Giving yourself some wiggle room, but not too much. Some of you have the same damage I do, and if you can't do it perfectly, you're not going to do it at all. If I can't be the best, not doing it at all. That's toxic. Don't be like that. Give yourself not, not too much wiggle room, but give yourself some mercy. 
along the process. Number three, having accountability. Have someone that can go, hey, how's your process going? How's your growth going? How's your faithfulness going? Without intention, I love this quote. I don't know who said it, so I didn't credit it. Without intention, goals are just wishes. So you go like, well, um, I wish you could go to Disney World. That's a bad example. Who wants to go to Disney World? Um, I don't know. I wish you could go to the beach. Do you, are you packed? No. Uh, do you have a vehicle to get you there? No. Uh, do you know what direction you're going or how to get? No. Then you're, then you're not intending on going to the beach. Let's be honest. Right? When you go like, I, I intend to go to the beach. That means you've got a suitcase, you've got maps, you know where you're going, you've got an Airbnb or VRBO, whatever. You see the difference. Without intention, goals are just wishes. Here's a cool, I like, I like the way this graph does this. See how motivation goes up and down? Intention is the blue line in the middle. Right? That's your, that's your, your consistent track on the way to faithfulness. All right? Number four, discipline. I love this one. I'm going to try not to nerd out too much. What is discipline? How many of you, you, like, you've been told, you've heard all your life, like, discipline is the key to everything, right? Got, especially the old school. Old school was like, discipline, 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 discipline. What if I told you that discipline is not the bee's knees like we made it out to be? For some of you, you go like, oh, I don't believe that's not, that's not kosher. And for some of you, you might be like, whew, thank God, because discipline's so hard, Right? What is discipline? Okay. Discipline is the willpower that you need to meet your intention. So intention is the plan. Motivation is the goal. Intention is the plan. Willpower, the discipline is the willpower you need to meet your intention. Now, this is going to make sense when we get to the graph in a second. What is it good for? It's good for closing the gaps. Willpower is good for closing the gaps between motivation and intention on those low days when your adherence is not great so that your faithfulness stays on point. This is going to make a little more sense later. What is it not good for? Discipline is not good for sustainable use. And that's going to fly in the face of what a lot of us think. I got to be disciplined. I just got to, I just got to willpower and I just got to, just got to grind through it. You know, it's that grit your teeth. Heather explained it like you're running track. And I know for some of us, it's been a while. It's been a while since we run, 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 period. But you're running track and you, you know, you, you got 50 yards left and your body's given out. And you, but you just, you just grit it out. But we think we have to live like that. But just like inspiration is not meant to, care, meant to carry you long terms, neither is discipline. Discipline is not good for sustainable use. Willpower, and many of you will, if you'll admit this is true, willpower runs out quickly and it needs to be recharged regularly. We need motivation to be close to good enough to our intentions for discipline to be able to bridge the gap over and over. So how do we enhance it? Number one, know that there will be hard times and don't be surprised by it. You have a goal and it's probably a big goal. You've got a plan to get there. That's great. You know that it's not going to be easy. Just know that ahead of time. Just like knowing that you're going to be depressed after God really moves, 
just know there's going to be hard times along your journey. Number two, accountability is huge here. You have to have people in your life, whether directly or indirectly, that are making sure that you're still moving towards your goal. Number three, practice your willpower. Exerting willpower will, will, make the, will make the willpower, your capacity for willpower grow and will make it recharge more quickly. Some people have incredible willpower, like Navy SEALs, professional athletes, like they're just all willpower. Some of you on social media, you may know this, na- this guy named David Goggins, right? His mouth is a dumpster fire, but my God, he's motivated. Like he's just like every other word is an abomination, but good God, he can get you up off your butt and get you moving. Like he's amazing. He's just sheer willpower 24-7. Most of us don't are not like that, though. And I, I was never taught that willpower is only supposed to be good in spurts. This is what it looks like in real life. You, you're facing one tough thing, and you're holding up pretty good. Your attitude's good. You're making it. Then another tough thing comes along. Now you're divided. And now you're having to exert willpower to stay above two things. And then a third thing comes. And now your will, your, your grip to just have a good character, be joyous, be godly is now split among three tough things. And you ever hear, you ever say or you hear people say like, I just, I don't know how long I can do this. Or I can't do this anymore. Or I'm done, I'm done adulting today or whatever. What is that? That's willpower that has been depleted. It doesn't mean that your heart's not right. It doesn't mean that you're, you've backslid. It doesn't mean that you're a negative Nancy and you need to get some faith. It doesn't mean any of that. It means your willpower is depleted because no human is supposed to be able to do this consistently. And so we need to practice this. This is what discipline looks like on our graph. So, I'm sorry if it's a little hard to see, but that middle intention line, see, Discipline is the blue areas that are filled in. When our motivation is high, we don't need discipline. It's easy. You don't need to grit it out when you feel like doing it, when your motivation, man, I'm really motivated today. How motivated do you have to be to go brush your teeth? Like, no, you just do it, right? It's just it, discipline that fills in those gaps, right? So living a life after God is not a life of discipline. Many of us have been taught that. This is a life of extreme discipline. Discipleship is all about discipline. No. Discipline is a part of the whole construct of growth, right? All right. Number five, we've got two more left. Thank you all for sticking with me. Number five is habit. What is it? Habit is the automation of faithfulness so that motivation waxes and wanes less over time. You can automate your faithfulness. You can get to a point in the growth process where faithfulness is just automatic. It's just what you do. No striving, no, no gritting, no nothing, where, where motivation waxes and wanes less and less over time. It's awesome. What is it good for? It's good for creating less of a demand for discipline, which is a short supply anyway, and raising the ability to be consistently faithful. This is where most of us really want to really want, have a hard time getting to, the habitual stage. It's not good for giving you that initial spark and making you fall in love with the process of growing and being faithful. We enhance it by having the tools we need easily accessible. So whatever that means, um, if you're on a diet 
the number one key to being successful on your diet, in my opinion, is having healthy stuff in your refrigerator. Having the tools you need accessible so that you don't go, oh man, it's lunchtime, I hadn't even thought about lunch, I don't have anything prepared. Well, what's the easiest thing to do? Well, I'll run to town, right? And then you're scarfing down a 1,600-calorie Big Mac meal. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Your, 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 your arteries are literally clogging as you order it, right? So in our spiritual life, having the tools that we need easily accessible for whatever your goal is, is key to being habitual. I have a, a growing library. I have the Mishnah. I don't sit down and read it for joy. Like, it's not... Because it's not fun reading necessarily. But what, it, what is it? When I am studying, I have it. I can go grab it. If I didn't have it, it would break my study flow, and then I would just give up, right? You see what I mean? It would make it a lot harder to be habitual about things. I know that when it's ready to study, I have my Mishnah, I have my this, I have that, I have whatever. Everything's there. It's ready to go, right? Number two, having a schedule. A schedule is important. And number three, just having time. Just spending time practicing your habit. This is what it looks like on the graph, the green section. As you, oh, that was supposed to say habit on the top. Sorry, I mislabeled it. Um, as, your, as your habit increases, your adherence goes up. And your motivation, that, that gap is closed. So see, you need less and less discipline. The more something becomes a habit, you need less and less discipline. Again, brushing your teeth. How much willpower does it take to brush your teeth? You've been doing it forever. It's just something you do, hopefully. Um, putting on deodorant, you know, lean over to your neighbor and like check a little bit. It's just something you do, right? You don't need willpower to do those things. It's just, you don't need, it's just something you do. Eventually, faith, whatever thing you're pursuing, commandments, again, customs, study, prayer, whatever it might be, those things can become automated. They can become automatic. That doesn't mean that there's no life in them, that means that they become who you are, not just something you do, right? All right, lastly, passion. For some people, this has been the thing that's been missing through this whole presentation. But where's the passion? This all seems real cold and, and systematic. Here's the thing about passion. We mistake inspiration for passion. We mistake motivation for passion. Those things are not, we have those things backwards. We go, well, we got to get people passionate about God. We got to be, I get, you got to be, I got to get you, my job as a, as a pastor is to get you passionate about the Torah. What is passion? Passion is the love of the process of growing. Passion is not the love of the end result. Passion is a love of the process. That's hard. I'm passionate for worship. Are you passionate for the feeling you get or the end result? Or are you passion, passionate about what it takes to be a worshiper? What is it good for? Passion is good for fueling faithfulness to insane levels. This is so cool. Passion is good for fueling faithfulness beyond where you ever thought you could be. What is it not good for? Passion is not something we can just get in a few weeks. Passion is something that takes months and years to develop. Again, if you're thinking, yeah, but I'm passionate about things or whatever. No, you're inspired or you're motivated. Passion is not that, we think of passion as that like that flame, right? That like, oh, oh, I want to do this. Oh, I can do this. Oh, I'm excited. 
that's not passion. That's inspiration. Or like, I really feel like I could do this today. I really feel like studying today. That's not passion. That's motivation. Passion is what happens when you've done all the other groundwork. Passion is not something that comes quickly. How do we enhance it then? We let the successes of our growth get in our bones. Where we begin to be people not who can't do something, but who have done something. Do you see yourself as a person who, well, I'd love to learn Hebrew, but I just don't think I can. And in six months, you go, I have learned. And it's who I am now. It's in my bones. Then you know what? You've become passionate about the process of learning Hebrew, right? Number two, again, be proud of yourself. Number three, this is one that's counterintuitive, but one that I've really learned works well. Take a break from learning and growing. I said a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, I stood up in here and said, do you ever get tired of learning? <laughs> right? Sometimes we need to take a break from learning or growing and enjoy the place we're at. Six months of getting to your goal, three months at Rosh Hashanah, you do some hard work, you put these things into place, you've taken control of your spiritual growth, you present at Rosh Hashanah, you present to God, what I, what, this is what you gave me, this is what I've done with it at Rosh Hashanah. And then you take the 10 days of all Yom Kippur, and especially Sukkot, and you just stop learning and growing. And you just enjoy where you are, right? You have to have these times where you deload out of the pressure of that process. Never let growth become a torturous route route that we have to endure. Sometimes we think about discipleship and becoming more like Yeshua, becoming more godly, like, man, it's just going to be nothing but killing this old flesh. And that don't sound like a fun trip. And pastors and good and well-meaning Christians, well, if you want to become like God, it's going to be rough. Really? Who goes like, well, man, sign me up for that. I want to live the rest of my life in torment and anger and, and, and bitterness. And, you know, I mean, I want to live just gritting out the rest of my life so I can be more like God. No, that, like, that sucks. Sorry. That stinks. Nobody wants that. Right? So sometimes we need to just, we need to realize that growth and faithfulness, adherence, observance is not some kind of miserable route where we're destined to live if we're going to be like God. No. It's a process that works. Lastly, you can enhance your passion by helping others with their growth. This is what the, the chart looks like. For and this, I'm sorry, I, cha- I forgot to change the word on both of these. It was late last night. This is what passion looks like, where you just it just goes up and up and up and up and up. And those all those other things are part of it. Here's what passion is in, in my mind. Passion is is the thing that frees you up to to do all the all the other things. You know, when you when you start to you start to really become passionate about something. Uh, let's say I'm, I'm we've used learning Hebrew. Let's say I'm passionate about the Hebrew language. The first year or two is rough, man. Getting all the stuff and the vowels and the this is that and the words moved around and I'm in the middle of that process right now. Let's use this. Let's say studying the temple. That's a good example. Let's say studying the temple. You first study in the temple, it's rough. You have no idea what's where. You don't know your, you know, I mean, you don't know up from down, left from right. You don't know anything. 
You get about six months into it, you kind of start to get comfortable. Okay, cool. I kind of have some wherewithal. A year, year and a half, two years, three years into studying the temple and putting all the scriptures together and doing all the work. Uh, you know, the hundred and something pages of scriptures that refer to the temple, you know, and all this. You start doing all this stuff, and you're like, okay, I'm cool. It be- you become passionate about it, and you're not worried about all the details anymore. You're not worried because you've learned how to learn. You've learned how to study. You've learned how to pray. You've learned how to worship. You've learned how to be observant. You learn how to do all these things. And it becomes, becomes passionate because you're not tied down with all the details and all the what ifs. Because you've already done that hard work. And then you can be free to help others get through those hard times and become passionate too. The thing about passion is that you can't make someone passionate. It doesn't happen that way. I can't make you passionate. I would like to think that on my good days, I'm a decently talented speaker. I can't make you passionate. Passionate comes after weeks and months and years of you doing what I've been doing in those areas to become passionate about it. The truth is you're passionate in other areas that I'm not because I haven't done the work you have. See what I mean? So I hope this is encouraging and I hope this is challenging a little bit because like I said, by Rosh Hashanah, I want us all to be able to stand before God and say, this is what you gave me. And I didn't wait on you to lead me. I took the initiative myself because what you gave me, God, is so precious. I took the initiative and I did something with what you gave me. That's how much I appreciate and respect you as the king. I never want to come before you empty-handed. That's what this, that's what this psychology of faithfulness is about. It's in our hands to do it.